welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So this is one of my... <laughs> it's one of my favorite Sundays. <laughs> okay, so you say that about everything. It's one of your favorite Sundays, one of your favorite chapters, one of your favorite verses. I'm like, they all are. <laughs> This is one of my favorite, favorite Sundays because we get to let you pick the message. Um, and it also gives you an opportunity to experience how amazing my bride is because she sits up here with, with Q&A with Stephen K. Right. And I <laughs> think I'm going to write a rap. Amen. I don't know how to write Christian raps. I used to listen to gangster rap, so we don't want to do that. Not at church. So, uh, so Kay will probably talk most, and then I'll, I'll put in a few things. <laughs> you know what? I can go home. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, our first uh, anonymous question. By the way, there's three ways for you that uh, you're not paying attention. There's three ways for you to submit questions. You, you can get a piece of paper. Um, we have these little, I don't know where they are. You have to talk to someone who's smarter than me. Um, you, you can fill out one of these and just drop it in the, I think, in the box out there. Or you can email the office at info at belovedchurchillinois.com. Um, or you can... Uh, or you can sit over here where my two sisters are lined up with that look like don't the turn email don't turn is your actually back. Actually, admin at beloved. Oh, I'm sorry, Church admin at beloved Church Illinois. Um, and it also works for all of you YouTube uh, family out there too. If there's some, if you can't physically get here to fill out a card or sit in a chair, you're welcome to email admin at belovedchurchillinois.com. We have a ton of people all over the nation and the world that are, um, they are part of our extended family, and, and we like to include them. So the first question that came in anonymously, and it looks like they, used, they were really purposeful about having perfect handwriting so none of us could identify their anonymity. I said it. In my head, I was like, I don't know if I could pull this word off, but I just said it. If Jesus can only be in one place at a time, isn't he seated at the right hand of the Father? How can he be anywhere else? It's a great question, because I, I say that all the time. Jesus laid down a facet of divinity. One of the facets of divinity is omnipotence, which is being in all places at all times. Jesus laid that down. Because of his great love for us. He laid down something that was only divine for you. And how many people are out there walking 
around the world completely ignoring Jesus or at worst flipping him the bird because they don't give a rip about him or what he's done. He literally laid down a facet of divinity to rescue humanity. And there's even people in this room that, you know, like if we're in worship, you're just like, oh my gosh, quit singing. Can we get on with it? To, to the person that laid down divinity to rescue you from Satan's fathering of you. And I use that term loosely because he doesn't want to father you like we understand the term. He wants to punish and destroy every aspect of your life. Jesus laid down a facet of divinity so that you would not have that. And people ignore him and are ungrateful to him all the time. And he will, for all of eternity, whatever eternity is, he will, for all of eternity, have diminished his divinity just to get us. I know for some of you, you're thinking, that's pretty cool. But man, I'm telling you, I I struggle to say those things and keep it together. And he loved me that much. I am, in the, in the natural, I am worthless. I'm below worthless. I know me. I know what I've done. I wouldn't have rescued me. I would have killed me. And not only did he rescue me, he laid down divinity for me. If I was God, if any of you were God... And you've seen someone worthless, vile, wicked, an enemy to what you are trying to establish. And you had a, you had a flash of passion and you decided that you would save them. You would absolutely not lay divinity down to save them. You'd just reach down, rescue them out. You'd pull them out of the drowning water and you'd say, there, stupid, quit being dumb. That's the, that's the, that is not agape. That's not the love that Jesus had for us. He literally laid down a facet. And not just one, a, but he laid down a facet of divinity to rescue all of us. I, I can't fathom the love. Because the only thing that we can embrace in love is all performance-based. If she acts right, then I love her more. If she acts wrong, then I love her less. If she gets older, you know, then I'm not as attracted to her. If she is younger, you know, I trade her in for a younger model because I'm in my uh, middle age crisis or whatever it's called. Not there, that's not that doesn't even register on love, and we call that love. So, Jesus is always in a body. And I say physical body um, only for, for language. Because it's not a physical body, it's a spiritual physical body. I, I know, that's just give me some grace. Um, it's physical to the degree that it operates... On this natural planet, when Jesus was resurrected and he went and met the disciples when they were hiding, because they didn't want to get crucified, he, walk, he showed up in the room. Uh, we 
we assume that he walked into the room. But he showed up in the room, and the Bible specifically comments on the doors and the windows being shut and locked. So his body can pass through physical substance, but it was so physical that he told Thomas, touch me, stick your fingers in the holes in my hands, which by the way, they aren't little ten penny nail holes. They were so big that Thomas could stick his fingers through the holes in his hands. And he told Thomas to thrust your hand into my side, which, by the way, that's, again, the hole in his side is so large that Thomas could have stuck his fist into the hole in Jesus' side. Those holes in his hands, those holes in his feet, those, that hole in his side are there today. Anybody doubt the love of God? Picture... The current resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't even have to picture him on a cross. Just picture the current body of Jesus Christ that still has the holes, that will always have the holes for you and for me. The scars on his back. This is what irritates me, though, when people reject healing. He took stripes on his back specifically for the purpose to heal us. And then we have entire denominations out there saying, God doesn't want you to be healed. Like defecating right on the stripes on his back. It's, it is, it's blasphemy to me. It's blasphemy. His physical body, physical spiritual body, whatever that language is, can only be in one place at one time. Just like your physical body can only be in one place at one time. Now, obviously, it does have the capacity to, like, go from a place to a place at the speed of spirit. I know I'm getting into, like, <laughs> some kind of physical... It's just quantum physics, right, Bob? Just simple. It's just easy. Just, just simple quantum physics. <clears throat> so, he has that body, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's what the scriptures say. So seated at the right hand of God the Father doesn't specifically mean like he's always for the rest of eternity like sitting in a throne right next to God the Father. That terminology means seated at the right hand means that he is enthroned at the right hand, the place of authority, the, uh, the place of honor, the place of glory at the right hand of the Father. It doesn't mean that he's physically sitting in a chair. It means that's his position. He is at the right hand of God the Father. Now, I do believe that he has a throne, and I do believe that he sits on it, because he's going to sit on that throne and rule over the nations. That, that's real clear. But it, it, ha, it's, it has dual uh, application. We're seated... Um, you know, right now you're seated in heavenly places. That doesn't mean your spirit is copping a squat up in heaven. It just means that you have the authority in those heavenly places that, uh, that is equal to, equivalent to what Jesus has given us. So, he's not, his physical, the Jesus physical body is seated in authority at the right hand of God the Father. So, if Jesus is uh, in my bedroom in the middle of the night uh, having a vision 
given me a vision and I know it's physically Jesus in my room telling me something uh, that I need to know about the church, that means that he physically cannot be in Iran um, in front of a, a pure-hearted little Muslim girl that's asking for the truth about really what her creator is because she doesn't believe all the Allah stories. So he can't be in both places. He has to, he has to pick one. That's, that's important to understand that this, it's, it's the same thing about Satan. How many people say, well, you know, Satan did this to me this week, and Satan did that to me this week. And no, he didn't. Dear Lord, Satan only can be in one place at one time. And i got news for you. You're really not that hot to trot. He's probably not after you. He's sending some low-level devils, and you're so weak that you think these low-level devils are Satan himself. Give me a break. <laughs> so then, how can Jesus be everywhere? His Spirit. Yeah. His Spirit can be everywhere. His physical body, His physical spiritual body, can only be in one place at one time. But His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, can be everywhere. It retained its omnipotence. Jesus person. Christ, spirit of the person. Jesus, the Christ. I know this is probably messing with a few of you because you just thought that was his first and last name. It's not. Jesus is the person. Christ is what he is. The Christ. Jesus, the Christ. Christ can be everywhere, everything. And Christ is exactly the image of Jesus. So when a person might be having a dream or having a vision, it could be the Spirit of Christ that is there. The Spirit of Christ can be everywhere. He can, the Spirit of Christ can come visit all of us tonight and give us a dream, and it would be as if he was right there. John chapter 16, Jesus specifically uh, told us about this. I could have pulled this up. John 16, verse uh, 5. But now I, this is uh, the pre-crucified Jesus. Um, literally pre as in a few hours. This is a few hours before he was crucified. But now I, Jesus, go my way to him, the Father that sent me. And none of you ask me, where, where are you going? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Uh, there's maybe 5% of this room that believes that. If I walked up to the average person in this room, and we're, we've got the greatest church in, in the world, in the universe. All the people that said woo, they've experienced it. Um, if I walked up to you and I said, which would you rather have? Would you rather have the Holy Spirit or would you rather have Jesus physically come and minister to you? Nah. <laughs> say that in church. But if I walked up to you out on the street and say, you know, I, would you would you like Jesus to come and and pat your fevered brow and, and lay his his hand on your on your ailment and 
and just touch the hem of his garment. Yes, pastor, that's exactly what I want. Jesus said, that is less. Amen. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You know, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, and he's already telling the truth, and he is the truth, that means he's accentuating something really, really important. When he said, barely, barely, or truly, truly, it wasn't because he wanted to make a rhyme. He's like, look, you will miss this if I do, do not accentuate what I'm saying. So he's saying, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, better, expeditious for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. That's His name. It, it is important. That's why I don't like it when people call Him the Holy Ghost. And I know that's King Jamesy. I get all that. He's not a ghost. He's a Comforter. And He is the breath of God. Spirit means breath. Pneuma in the Greek. It's ruach in the Hebrew. It literally means the essence of. That's why your breath, if you choke someone, you take their breath away. Mask mandates choke someone, take their breath away. The ruach, the breath of God is called the comfort, the comforter. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Part of the atonement was Jesus preparing a way for the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. People don't understand that there is a huge difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come on people, but then go off. Because a flesh could not stand the presence of God. And so Jesus had to do this supernatural thing that I don't really have adjectives for, that where he literally created a place on the inside of you, a temple, that the Holy Spirit could come and live in forever. And if Jesus wouldn't have done the atonement part, you couldn't have had that. The best we could have is the Holy Spirit come on you and go off you. Come on you, go off you. Come on you, go off you. Now the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And how many people still aren't comforted? They need drugs and alcohol and, and sex and rock and roll and all the other stuff to be comforted when the Holy Spirit, whose actual name is the Comforter, lives on the inside of people. <laughs> Amazing. Shocking. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. I am skipping a lot of sermons. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Amen. Satan has been judged. Amen. Good job. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Side, sidebar. If you don't see the humor in Scripture, you're missing something. 
Okay, me and you don't get to hear what Jesus said because his disciples back then couldn't hear it. Like, thanks a lot, guys. If they, they could, never mind. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls the Comforter, and he calls him the Spirit or the breath of truth. So if you understand that Jesus didn't just change his name all of a sudden, it's not schizophrenic or bipolar, that means that comfort and truth are equal. One of the reasons that people are not comforted, especially right now in our society, is because our society is overflowing with lies and deception. You cannot be comforted in a lie. People lie to people all the time and they think, well, I'm just going to lie to them. It's going to comfort them. Lies don't comfort. Truth comforts. Amen. The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For He, now listen, He shall not speak of Himself. The Holy Spirit does not testify about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies. He will guide you in all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself. But whosoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. So the Holy Spirit's job is to listen and speak. What is He listening to? Who is He listening to? And He will show you things to come. Well, one of the things he's listening to is what's going to happen in the future. Those of you that are really concerned about the, the nature or the, the course of nature in our world right now, it's because you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You think tyranny is going to win and Satan's going to trumps us all and we're all going to be hiding in bomb shelters, eating spam, drinking bottled water and petting our AR-15s, waiting for the Antichrist to come and destroy us. God bless you. You need a comforter. We'll baptize your sorry butt in the Holy Spirit today and you'll be filled with comfort. All the people clapping are probably baptized in the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come. That's the number one ministry of the Holy Spirit. Truth, showing you things to come. He shall glorify me. Glorify is the word doxa, and it means speak highly of, high value, and high opinion. Specifically, God value, God opinion. So the Holy Spirit will tell you about Jesus. How many people say, well, I have discernment of spirits, and I can tell that you're a liar. That, you, you've got the wrong spirit you're discerning there, cowboy. Because the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. Amen. Amen. He shall glorify me, for he shall... Uh, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall give it unto you. A little while, you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. Because I go to my Father. It, it's not, if, you're not, if you don't understand what we've been talking about, that's going to throw you for a loop. How can I see you, and then not see you, and then, see, and then you're going to the Father? Yes. The Spirit of Christ is Christ. That's why I am Steve in Christ. I know people get thrown off by saying that kind of stuff. Stacy says it all the time. Stacy Christ. It's not really Stacy Christ. It's Stacy in Christ. She's not Stacy the Christ. She's Stacy in Christ. I'm not Steve the Christ. I'm Steve in Christ. That's why my mom named me Stephen. Steve in Christ. (laughs) 
We spent too much to, time with Tom. To <laughs> So probably, I would say likely, nobody in this room has actually encountered the physical Jesus. But encountering the Holy Spirit is equal to, or even better, according to what Jesus said, than encountering the physical Jesus. Now, I believe that Jesus does physically appear to people, but I believe that he appears to people who are very, very low in maturity and faith. That's what he told Thomas. He said, Thomas, you believe because you see. But blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. So I believe Jesus does appear to people. And if he's appeared to you, don't tell nobody after after what I just said. (laughs) But I believe he only appears to people that are incredibly immature or incredibly low on faith. All right, maybe. Um, I just wanted to, I sound so loud, um, talk about how important it is to know the difference. Just like C was sharing, um, when the word says Jesus Christ, when the word says Jesus, when the word says Christ, because we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. The Bible is very specific about that. Um, and how we need to, we need to understand that how Jesus is the head and he's in heavenly places he's in the kingdom of heaven and that picture of and if you want the head the leader to be anywhere it's going to be in the heavenly places it's going to be at the right hand of the father with all of that authority that God has given him and how we are just like Steve said we are the Christ we are the body and so that's how, I know the question is, how can Jesus be everywhere? But, but really is, how can Christ be everywhere? And that's because he's in us. And so we are the Christs on this earth. Jesus is the head. And it just makes me think about how, um, in the spirit, I would love to be able to see in the spirit what that looks like. Because we're just, we very much look at it because we're in a natural body. So we just kind of assume that um, it kind of looks like this. But in the spirit, to see Jesus the head in heaven and all of his body on this earth, just to see that, it's got to be so glorious to see what that looks like in the spirit. All the, the body of Christ on this earth and how beautiful and glorious it is and how we've all got a part in that body. How important it is to know what our part is. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 is just a great chapter on um, the body of Christ and how important it is for us to find our place in that body. So we can be that to this world until this whole world is his body. Nothing missing. Amen. It's perfect. It's glorious. It's his, it, right? It's his spotless bride. And so we're called to be that to this earth. To help make his bride the spotless, beautiful bride that he desires it to be. And it's all about understanding the difference between 
Jesus and Christ. And so I just, I just thought that was great that you shared Amen. that. And here's a, here's a shameless plug. I'll just admit it right now. People that say that they love Jesus and don't go to church. You love the head and not the body. Sorry. You, you might convince yourself. You might salve yourself and make yourself feel better, but you don't. There's, there's no way that if I said, hey, you know, I really love Kay. This, this is the part I love. All this. <laughs> Have a great marriage, wouldn't we? No. And here's the other thing, too. Um, to say that a person loves or serves or calls Jesus Lord or whatever, and they're not going to be a part of the body. Could you imagine, like, if my left leg said, the heck with you, I'm doing my own thing, and went over there. It'd be, it'd be really hard for my body to accomplish what I needed to accomplish every day if my left leg just decided to go to live on, you know, I, well, I'm retired now, so I'm going to go live in Cancun. Well, I guess we're done then. I guess we're going to figure it out without the left leg. I, I'm not saying that Jesus is scarred or marred or anything like that, but I, it's almost like I wonder how many robotic appendages Jesus has to have just to get from place to place in the world today because so many people don't want to be a part of his body. Amen. All right, shameless plugs. All right, second question was, uh, what kind of altars are we to build to remember what God has done for us? Give an example and scripture to reference how and why we should do this. Um, so altars are something that was Old Testament. Uh, there's, only, there's only like two references in the New Testament to an altar. Uh, the word altar in the Greek uh, means a place of sacrifice or to burn up. Um, the first mention of an altar is in Genesis chapter 8, which is uh, Noah. And after God spoke the promise to Noah, it said that Noah built an altar. I think it's uh, 8.20 maybe. Um, and so, God. most people don't understand this, but um, God never told anyone to build an altar. And I know that might be shocking to some of you. God never told anybody to build an altar. People just built altars. He didn't like fuss at them about it, but God never commanded anyone to build an altar. Was it 20? Um, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Why? Because God made a promise to Noah. And Noah wanted to memorialize that promise and seal it in blood by killing and burning the sacrifice. This is why Jesus was killed and burnt. He was killed by man and he was burnt by the wrath of God. Most people don't get that. You know why Jesus cried out, I thirst? Because the wrath of God was burning him to death. You have to stay here. So man built in the Old Testament, it was so normal for man to build all these altars to memorialize or to remember the promises that God had made. 
In the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit who gives us the word that should bring back to our remembrance everything that Jesus says. So we don't have to physically build an altar anymore because we have the Holy Spirit reminding us of all the promises that God made. And we have the Holy Scriptures that are written down as an altar for us to understand. I do want to point out something real quick, and this is in Hebrews 13. Uh, Hebrews 13, I'm going to start in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I could disconnect right there. You know how many churches we could shut down if, this ver- if, if Christians actually followed this verse? And you know how many additions we'd have to put on this building? Amen. If, pe- Amen. if people actually did this verse. First of all, they don't. Uh, they just go to church wherever their grandparents went to church, because that's what you do. Remember them which have the rule over you. And that's another thing, too. You know, God actually placed leaders in your life to rule over you. (laughs) What amen? (laughs) Ain't nobody ruling over me. I'm American. Okay. Remember your leaders, those who uh, spoke to you the word of God that have the rule over you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. I'm an open book. You want to know anything about Kay and Steve? Ask a QA and a on Q&A with Stephen Kay. We're, we're open books. I guarantee you that we've got nothing to hide. We don't have any little secrets that we're keeping from the congregation. We are absolutely wide open. Um, and imitate their faith. You know, we're supposed to actually imitate each other in Christ. I know, it's shocking. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. We use that verse for a lot of applications, but you realize in context, it's actually talking about the church, the leaders of the church, and you following their faith. (laughs) Most people can quote that verse and have no clue what the context is. Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. This is why the people that get irritated that we preach grace around here, it's laughable to me. Your heart is going to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And this specifically is talking about foods as in ceremonial food. Because the the Jews had ceremonies for everything. And one of them was the type of food and how and when and the way they ate it. So he's saying ceremonially eating does not add any value to your life. Grace adds value, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. All right, and I know that's a, uh, that's a little hard to understand because it's kind of just a statement out of... Uh, and a whole, the whole book of Hebrews is written to Jewish mindsetted people. Hebrews. From a Christian perspective. And so it, the writer of Hebrews assumed that his audience understood some basic Jewish 
um, uh, ways of thinking and, and, and Judaism doctrines and theology. And so there was a lot of things that were insinuated in the book of Hebrews that if you don't know what he's talking about, you're going to miss it. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to read you Andrew's commentary on this verse. This is contrasting the new, to- new covenant with the old covenant. The writer of Hebrews had spent a large portion of this letter showing that Jesus brought a, in a better covenant that was established on better promises than the covenant of the law. In the previous verse, the writer spoke against being occupied with the Old Testament dietary laws. Here he was saying that those who are still under the bondage of the Old Testament law don't have any right or claim to the altar or way that the New Testament believer approaches boldly right into the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the altar in the New Testament is Jesus. He is our altar. So you don't have to build a physical altar. You're not going to come to my house and find uh, find some place where I like have a candle and I burn it. There's so I know I'm messing with a bunch of Christian doctrine, but it, it's not. You, we don't burn candles to God. We don't have little. There's certain denominations that you can walk in. They literally have idols of people and saints and all kinds of stuff and and pictures and and beads and and crucifixes and all that. And it is it is demonic. It is demonic, especially a crucifix. Why is Jesus still on it? Yes. Let me get back. <laughs> Going to get in trouble. The, the, if it is not in Christ, then it's dead. Now, I, I have things in my office. If you come and sit in my office, you're going to look around my office, and there's a, there's a gaggle of things that I got all over my... My wife loves it. She's like, you are not allowed... I'm not allowed to decorate any room but my office. She's like, oh, God. And the garage. I get the garage. Arr, arr. <laughs> So my office and my garage, I get to decorate. My office is terrible looking. Like, if you just walk in here, like, what the heck threw up in here? I'm like, this is all my stuff. Like, I got my, my Pakistani hat, and I got my, my uh, bracelet that someone gave me from Africa, and I got my, my Honduran things, and I got my, my American flag that someone made for me with the Pledge of Allegiance on it, and I got someone gave me um, uh, the... Emancipation Proclamation from Abraham Lincoln. So my office is like this very eclectic thing. But they're all just things that remind me of, of things that have happened in my life and things that are important to me and all that kind of stuff. I don't worship any of those things. I don't. If you took them all away, I wouldn't have lesser relationship with the Lord or anything. But they're just reminders to me of all the great things that God has done in my life. So if you have something like that, if you've got a picture... That, that reminds you of something that awesome that God did, great. But if you are worshiping something like uh, that is bringing value to your life, be it a person, if I worship Kay, that's not me being a good husband. That's me being satanic. And if she receives worship, you know what made Satan go from Lucifer to Satan? It was desiring worship. And I can tell you, there's a gaggle of gals that I run across that they just want to be worshipped. Amen. I'm looking at the computer, so nobody's like, if I'm sitting right here and you've seen me, now I'm looking. 
So there is no there is no New Testament altar that we need to physically build. You should build that on the inside of you. Have all the memories and the testimonies of God in Christ on the inside of you, and never ever forget the good things that God has done for you. That's why we sing about the goodness and the faithfulness of God almost every Sunday. He is always faithful. He's always good. Yeah. Yeah. One part of the question was. Um kind of altars are we to build to remember what God has done for us um, and Steve really covered we're really not supposed to be building altars um, because we have a better covenant that was the old Old Testament and in the New Testament we have the Holy Ghost so uh, John 14 uh, 26 but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And so that's, that's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he will bring to remembrance for us the things that we need to uh, reflect on, the things that maybe we um, are letting circumstances uh, maybe not make us forget because... We choose to forget. The, the circumstances maybe become bigger than what God has already done for us, what the Word says that He has done for us. And so the Holy Spirit is way better than any altar. That He can bring to remembrance everything that we need in this life, in this journey, to remember the goodness of God, to remember what God has done for us, to remember what the Word says. And so that's just... Um, And praise God that we are new covenant believers, that we have everything that Jesus purchased for us, that we don't have to live the way they did in the Old Testament. It's just awesome. You remember John the Baptist said, I'm baptizing you in water, but there's one that comes after me, he'll baptize you in fire. You, you You need to be baptized in water to be clean, but then you also need that fire to purge. And so the altar, Jesus, is what's able for that burning of the Holy Spirit to purge our lives. When we, we our bus driver in Honduras, this is the only thing I'm going to say about Honduras. Otherwise, you've got to come back tonight. Um, but our bus driver in Honduras, uh, they, were, they were witnessing to him. I think Bob and uh, our Pastor Craig, Bob, wasn't even there. <laughs> Pastor, Craig, Pastor Craig was witnessing to him, and he said... He said, well, I can't be a Christian because I don't love everybody. Think about that. At least he's honest. He's more honest than most of the Christians I know. Most of the Christians say, oh, yeah, I love everybody. What? He said, I can't be a Christian because I don't love everybody. And I know that in order to be a Christian, you're supposed to love everybody. And Pastor Craig is like, no, you got it backwards. When you become a Christian, then you have the capacity to love everyone. And it totally set him free. And Pastor Craig was, at, was willing to minister to him. So it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. If, you, if you're struggling with holiness, if you're struggling with some aspect of your life, the Holy Spirit can purge you. If you let Him. He brings fire. Fire burns away. That's why it talks about wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious jewels. Because fire to gold purifies Fire to wood consumes. 
So things in your life that are of the flesh, the fire of the Holy Spirit will consume it, burn it away, and nothing's left. The things in your God, in your life that are of God, when the fire of the Holy Spirit hits it, it purifies it and makes it shine even brighter. Amen. Amen. All right, next question. When and, uh, when and why should we stand in the gap for someone? What does it mean to do so? Uh, this is another one of those like religion doctrine things. I'm going to stand in the gap for my wife. Uh, yep. Let me, let me. I'll just read some verses to you, and then, <laughs> and then we'll uh, we'll unpack it a smidge. First uh, Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. I'm going to start at the top. I exhort, therefore, this is in the King James. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Uh, sidebar, the reason some of you uh, aren't living a quiet and peaceable life is because you're not praying for your leaders. Amen. Uh, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who wills, or who will, or who does will, that uh, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. By the way, verse 4 just completely demolishes the whole sovereignty of God doctrine. That everything God wills just happens. God's in control of everything. God's in charge. That's that's a huge pile of malarkey. God wills for every man to be saved. Is every man saved? No. No. Not even every man in this church is saved. So God's will does not just come to pass because God wills it. Right. You have to agree with God's will to see God's will. Right. God is not sovereignly pulling puppet strings on every person in the building. If he was, you'd be way better. God ain't in control. God ain't in charge. If you think God's in control and God's in charge, then what are you going to talk say about tsunamis and and millions of kids and sex and and human trafficking and and drug and and alcohol addictions and and spousal abuse? Really, God's in charge. You have a sorry God. That's not God. Those people are serving another God. God's will takes place in people that accept God's will. Period. God's will is for every man to be saved. Is every man saved? No, that means God's will just doesn't come to pass. Now, if you accept God's will in your life, you get to have all the benefits of having God's will in your life. If you don't, good luck. Hope it works out for you. It's going to really stink. Promise you. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. I'm going to say this gently, in Jesus' name. This, this whole thing going on in the body of Christ with intercessors that are interceding for our nation to God and interceding for, our, for people to God is demonic. Amen. And 
I have lost good friends for saying that kind of stuff. But I'm sorry. I'm going to go with the Scripture versus somebody who's who's created a new dynamic in the body of Christ. And, you know, we used to have the five-fold ministry, but now we have the six-fold. We used to have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now we've added intercessors. I get emails every day from people asking me to, to send them my intercessors and come to this intercessor meeting and do it. What? There's one mediator between God and man, Jesus. So if you think you're an intercessor and you're going to intercede for our nation to God, then you have said, Jesus, please get out of the way while I do the job that obviously you can't do. Yeah. That's why it irritates me. That's why I'm being calm when I say this. Now, if you're going to intercede like verse 1, intercede, you're doing right. If you're going to intercede like verse 5, which is you mediate between God and man, then you have dethroned Christ. So interceding like verse 1 means that you make prayers or you do petitions. I can do this. Okay, will you please give Hannah $20 for lunch? I just interceded. I went to Kay, who has all my money. (laughs) Literally. Um, and I asked her to do something for Kay. Because I, I have relationship with her. I have, a, I have a covenant with her. I have a different dynamic of relationship than Hannah does. Hannah obviously has access to anything that we own. She can have anything she wants. But as, as the parents, as the people that are in charge of our finances... Me going to K is the is appropriate in this situation. And so we have a bunch of ungodly leaders in our nation. Oh my, oh my. What are you guys awake? I will come off this stick. We have a bunch of ungodly leaders in our nation. <laughs> and someone needs to go to God and say, uh uh uh, uh. <laughs> Father, I would like to call fire down, but because because I know that's not appropriate, I would like to implore you for mercy for our family and for our state, even though we're being led immorally in an ungodly way. Thank you for our freedom in Christ, even though our leaders are trying to tyrannize us. Father, I thank you that you will continue to reveal to me more wisdom and understanding as it relates to my personal liberties and what I need to do to push back against darkness, lies, and tyranny. Those are appropriate prayers. Now, standing in the gap usually references people like you love and you're connected to. So, if I was going to intercede for Kay, who has a place of leadership in our home and in my life, I would do the same thing. I would go to the Father, and I would say, Father, most of the time I'm going to pray in the Spirit because I really don't know what to pray for Kay because what I think I need to pray for Kay probably is not what needs to be prayed for Kay. Amen. And all the things that you think that you need from God, yeah, you're, you don't need those things. You actually need God to tell you what you need because what you think you need, you probably don't need. You need to pray in tongues a lot more than you do now. And so I'm going to... I'm going to Pray in tongues, and then God will say, uh, hey, you know, 
okay struggling with this. And so what I would likely do is declare into that situation. Like let's say she's struggling with, um, with feeling valued because uh, she works all the time. And so I would say, Father, I thank you that right now you are releasing under her a revelation of her value and, and how greatly she's loved and how important she is to me and how important she is to the kingdom. Father, I thank you that you continually are, are ministering to her heart all these truths about her beauty and how amazing she is. So that would be my intercession or standing in the gap for Kay. Now, if Kay was an ungodly sinner, um, I know, it's hard to imagine. She used to be. She used to be. I met her. <laughs> um, and so let's say we were married and she's an ungodly sinner. I would just pray um, that she, I would pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers into her field. Father, I thank you that you're sending people into Kay's life that are speaking the truth to her. Father, I declare over her that uh, she understands uh, your plans and your purposes, your desires for her. That um, I, I, uh, I command ineffectiveness to the deceptions and the lies of the enemy. I command light into darkness and awareness. I thank you, Lord, that she knows exactly how greatly loved she is. Not, I hope you're catching up on this, that there's, there's intercession done this way. And then there's what's being done in the body of Christ where there's a bunch of intercessors that are making themselves mediators between God and man. And they're staying off the wrath of God that's going to fall on America if it wasn't for all them mediating. God bless them. This is going to tie into the next question, but I want to give Kay her. I just wanted to say real quick, um, just when you were sharing um, how important it is for us to know the word if you if you want to intercede for someone, you want to pray for something, someone. The word is going to give you the instruction you need on how to do that. Right. Pastor Ryan touched on it again this morning. How important it is for us to know the word of God. If you want to have effectual prayer, effectual intercession, the word of God is is going to be the place where you are going to be the most effective. Um, the most balanced, because just like um, Pastor Steve was talking, like these people that have just gone in this intercessory ditch over here, because they have not used the word to balance out what that's supposed to look like. I could literally do a whole message just on this crazy intercession thing that has taken over, because there's two. There, here's my two main problems. One is they've removed Christ which is dangerous in any way you do that. The second thing is, these people tend to be the most inactive people in the body of Christ because they pray. So therefore, they don't actually have to tell anybody the truth. They don't have to love their neighbor. They don't have to go witness. They don't have to lay hands on the sick. They don't have to go into the highways and the byways and compel people because they're interceding. They're doing their part. Check. Did my Christianity. I pray all the time. Oh, well, God bless you. I pray all the time, too. And I actually do it. If you pray in faith, faith is action. So if you're praying in faith, Lord, I thank you that Kay is, is uh, understanding how greatly loved she is. Hey, baby, I really love you. That, that's, she's, she's really honestly going to hear from heaven a whole lot more when I am acting in faith in accordance with 
the, what I just prayed. And so if I say, you know, Lord, please, uh, please save Josiah, ungodly, wicked Josiah, which is a terrible prayer. You can't pray that. But I'm like, Josiah, is, I love Josiah, and I know that he's lost. I know that he's not born again. Father, I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for Josiah to have a revelation of the truth and your great love. And that you, the Lord of the harvest, are going to send laborers across his field. And I'm also committing myself to be one of those laborers. Hey, Josiah, you want to, will you go play disc golf with me after church today? I'd just love to hang out with you. And while we're playing disc golf, I'm going to tell him about how much I value him and how much I appreciate him. That's me. Act, if I'm going to pray it, I'm going to do it. Those of you that think that you're going to pray it and put it in God's hands, well, if they're going to get saved, it's going to be God. No, you, you don't get to kick the can down the street like some party in politics. Uh, the next, the last paper question is, Explain binding and loosening. These go together. This intercession, mediation, and binding and loosening. That's why uh, we did it this way. Explain binding and loosening in heaven and on earth. What does it mean? And do we just speak and declare it? Why does it need to be bound in heaven? Does this pertain to certain things or anything we want to see manifested in our lives? This is one of the most... And this is there, there's a whole massive thing that I can say about this. I'm just going to try to do this real quick. Um, this is another one of those things that we have taken something that Jesus intended to be in one place, and we've taken and made a universal truth out of it, and we apply it to nearly everything. So, in context, Matthew chapter 18. Let's see what the Lord said, and then that would probably answer a ton of the questions. In context, Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, and I know we're starting right in the middle of a statement, but moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Oh my gosh, could I spend some time on that one? How many times someone causes someone else a problem and they come and tell me, oh, Pastor, you know what so and so did? Shut up. Did you talk to them? Well, no, I'm telling you. Go talk to them. (laughs) And and let's reverse it. How many people got issues with me that I find out? (laughs) Get up here and talk to me. (laughs) How many people got issues with me? And quit the church and tell 47 people and say terrible things about me on Facebook and go join another church. And then the other pastor will just receive them in with open arms. Oh, God bless you. You just tore up a man of God. Come on in. I've actually sent people out of this church because I know how they left another church. And they've come in here. I'm going to be a part of this church. No, you ain't. What? You're saying I can't be a part of this church? Yes. Those are the words coming out of my mouth. You can't be here because you're poison over there. And until you go get that right, you're not bringing that garbage over here. Because we've got a family and we're in intimacy and we're in unity and you're not bringing your garbage here. I've actually kicked people out of the church because they do that. We're not going to have tail bearers in here. We're not going to have people running their trap about it. If you've got a problem with me, I'll talk to you after service. Either that, or you can be an immature little one-year-old, throw your temper tantrum, and go down the street and tell everybody how terrible I am. 
And you're a liar. And it's okay. People do it all the time. Because every church on every corner will receive anybody, anytime. So you can just go in there and tell them, give them your spiritual resume, and they'll just let you come to church there. It's terrible. It's terrible. Jesus specifically said, if you've got a problem with your brother, you go to him. Before you go to anybody else. I know, it's just Jesus. We don't actually do what he says anyway. And if he shall hear you, thou hast gained thy brother. You know, it's not, remember, Jesus doesn't just give commands to give commands. He's telling you how things work best. If I got a problem with uh, Stacy, my sister, and I'm like, all right, well, I got a problem with Stacy, and I go to her and we work that out, you know, we actually get stronger. And I used her as an example because there was a time that she hated me. Not that many years ago. She hated me. And we worked it out eventually. And now she adores me. She loves me. And I love her back. One of the... Did she do something I couldn't see? (laughs) One of the reasons that Kay and I have the greatest marriage on the planet is because we've worked through some terrible, terrible problems that I mostly caused. But we worked through them. One of the reasons that people don't have really good marriages is because when they have problems, they just separate. Instead of working through the problems, because working through the problems actually makes you stronger. Yes. Amen. Makes you more capable when the next problem comes. Amen. Amen. If he hear you, you'll gain your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with him, uh, with you two or. Uh, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Ain't nobody does this. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody. I've been pastoring 10 years. Founder, senior pastor of Beloved Church. Ain't nobody ever done this. I've had hundreds of people quit this church. Ain't nobody. Because it's just not, we don't have to. We don't have to do the Bible anymore today. We just do whatever we feel like doing. Because it's our Christianity. So I can do whatever I want to. I don't actually have to do this. Okay. Um, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Again, these verses don't even exist in most American Christians' Bibles. Worthless. Because, A, the church doesn't have this part. Nobody, I won't say nobody. Very few people actually have this kind of submission to the church. To where if the church actually rebuked you, that you would repent. If the, if the average church rebuked the average Christian today, you know what they do? They quit. Who do you think you are? Who died and made you God? God. We don't, we don't do that. This is why the body of Christ is filled with about... A million two-year-olds throwing temper tantrums all the time. And this is also why they go into the church and they say, well, I went to that church and they didn't serve me the way I wanted to be served. They didn't do this for me and they didn't... Because we think that church is for you to come here to get all the things that you need. Your precious little self. You, You forget the fact that maybe... You know what the job of my left leg is? To serve the body. That's the job of this leg is to serve my body, to take me where I need to go, is to fight off things with my judo kicks. Look, it's not, my bo- this leg is not attached to my body for it. 
It's part of the body to be part of the body. Now there's a benefit if the body's healthy and we're healed and we're, we're having a great time, then the leg benefits from that. And so that's why when people come into the church, they're like, well, this church better serve me and they better teach me this and they better do this for me and better do that for me. You, you're already, it's, this is why marriages fail. Well, when I get married to Kay, she better make me happy and she better serve me and she better, uh, you know, she better fluff my pillow just right and she better cook the meals and, and then you wonder why your marriages fail. You just, I just put a burden on her that she can't meet. And people walk into churches and put a burden on churches that they can't meet. It's not your job. Your job is to come in here and serve. And in your serving, in your sowing, you will reap. You want to be healed? Lay hands on the sick. Amen. You want to have financial prosperity? Overtake your life? Give. And it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, running over. You want to have friends? Show yourself friendly. Amen. You want to be blessed? Bless. That's the whole context here, is that there's supposed to be something that happens differently. We've turned the church into uh, world light. It's it's world 2.0. The world operates in this way, so therefore the church is going to operate this way. This is a good business model for the church. All the time people are saying it. It doesn't work that way. Verily I say unto you. Verily? Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This, in context, this is talking about church discipline. (laughs) Amen. Who, who, Who caught that? A few of you. In context, what that's saying is, okay, so me and John have a problem. So I go to John, and he's like, I ain't going to hear you. I don't like you. And so then I, then I take Kay and Josiah, and then we go to John. John's like, I still don't, I still don't like what you got to say. I don't care about Josiah and Kay or you either. So then I say, hey, listen, church, John's acting a fool. We need to rebuke him. So we as a whole church say, John, you're acting a fool. Get right. And John says, still don't want nothing to do with you all. And so then we as a church decide because of what Jesus said that we are going to treat John as an unbeliever, a publican. Like publican, like a republican. We're going to treat him like a republican. (laughs) And we kick him out. And that means we don't have fellowship with him. We don't have dinner with him. We don't hang out with him. We don't disc golf with him. And in a healthy environment, John would eventually say, man, I... It's costing me everything to act a fool. It's costing me all my friends. It's costing me all my... And so then oftentimes in that situation, if this was really New Testament church and we were really authentic, then John would come back and say, I'm sorry that I was being a jerk. Will you guys accept me back in? Yes, of course. Come on in. We love you. And then he's restored to fellowship and everything gets worked out. But because we don't have this in today's church, this stuff doesn't happen. So if he, if in the same situation he says, well, whatever, I don't care. You guys treat me like a publican all you want. I'm going to live my own life, do my own thing. We actually have the right to bind and loose. Because we love him. What do we bind? We can actually bind mercy. <laughs> no, this is shocking. We can say, Lord, please remove your mercy from John. Let John reap what he's sowing to the flesh. Let him reap the destruction of his flesh. Paul actually talked about this. 
He said that there are multiple people in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that there were people that were doing terrible stuff. And Paul said, I've given them to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that their spirits may be saved. We can actually say, all right, Satan, take John. Give him, give him sickness, give him disease, destroy his life, take his finances, mess his marriage up, make his kids hate him. Satan, you can have him. We are no longer going to pray mercy on John. Now, I will say this. You better be extremely careful about this. And if you think that you're going to get into this and you're not going to do it in the unity of the church, you are demonic. This is only done in church discipline settings. You don't just get to go remove mercy from someone because you praying against someone is antichrist. This is only happens in a church setting. So you can bind mercy in heaven, which binds it on earth. Or you can lose mercy. Lord, we lose mercy all over John. Please don't let him reap what he's sowing to the flesh. Please don't let him. We can do that, and maybe mercy will save him. And if that doesn't work, then we can actually bind mercy, and then maybe the destruction, his own, sometimes your own consequences catching up with you, teaches you something. A smart man learns... I said it wrong. I, I smart, they're all laughing at me in Honduras because I had like this moment. I said, I'm going to tell you something really important. And then I messed it up. A, a smart man learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from other people's mistakes. And so that is what binding and loosening is. It's in church discipline. And we've applied it to everything. I bind this sickness in Jesus' name and I loose healing. Well, God bless you. You're special. You just took a verse way out of context, did that thing, and now you feel like you're really super spiritual because you quoted half a verse out of context. doesn't work that way. How do you have somebody uh, get healed? You say be healed. Jesus' name. Why you got to trick it up? <laughs> Why do we got to add 4,000 paragraphs to something? Jesus, how many times? Jesus did... He didn't even lay hands on the ten lepers. He didn't say nothing. He said, go show yourselves a priest. And we've got to have four-hour prayers for someone who's sick. Okay. My answer's going to be a little shorter. <laughs> I love you. Just in the, in the context of Matthew 18, that whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven... Um, and, you know, binding is, you know, that knitting together. Like when something is bound together like a book, it is, it's a hundred pages, but it's bound together. I mean, it's going to take a lot of work to separate a book. Like if anybody's ever had a hardcover book, you just can't tear that thing apart easy. Um, and so, you know, we as a body are bound together. We live our lives together. We minister to one another. We break bread together, we stay at each other's houses, when we get back from a mission trip, like we are all knit together. We're a family. And um, when you loose, when something is loose, it's it's talking about the, the very last part of verse 17. Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Whereas, you know, um, the company we keep and the people we surround ourselves with is very important. And if someone is not receiving that, um, maybe that correction or that counselor, or maybe just not receiving the fact that maybe they're not doing something that's good for them or good for the church family, that you need to let you need to 
almost loose them, like I said, or receive release them from this knitting because they are not healthy or good for the body. And so in context, that makes way more sense, that we are knit together. But if someone is choosing not to be a healthy part of this body, it is not wrong for us to loose them, so to speak, into what they are choosing very adamantly that they are right and they are in pride and it's not healthy for a church. Yeah, this seeker sensitivity thing that's invaded the body of Christ is dangerous because it uh, it devalues the bride. It devalues the body and it makes you um, it makes you do things that are not biblical. This is the greatest thing that God has on this earth. And if people don't want it, they don't have to. I'm secure. If you, if you hate me and you leave here and you never come back, I'm fine. I'm not going to cry myself to sleep tonight. I'm fine. I know what Jesus is and I know what this body is. And if you don't recognize it, God bless you. Hope, hope you work it out. But I'm not going to, it's not going to break me down. It's not going to break Jesus down. He's not crying in heaven because someone's quitting a church. It's going to tear you down. You will be destroyed. A separated sheep from the flock is wolf's food, mutton. Stacy. What a setup. <laughs> I didn't mean to call you mutton. You didn't. Um, so it's like a two-part question. So the whole equally or unequally yoked, I think, has kind of confused me a little bit over the years because... Relating to um, marriage relationships, the odds that you're both going to be equally yoked at the same time honestly seems impossible to me because people grow at different rates and different things, so I don't completely understand that. But then once you are married, the umbrella of God first, spouse second, and if you're not equally yoked, then like there's so many awesome things to do in the kingdom but that doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing all of them so trying to discern the unequal yoke with how it relates in the kingdom and i think you understand what i'm trying to say (laughs) yeah the unequally yoked thing you got to understand that jesus wants to be yoked with us so it's automatically unequal but the fact that he is so strong he makes up for our weaknesses so what Paul was alluding to when he said don't be unequally yoked, I think it's First Corinthians chapter 5, he's specifically talking about a believer being married to an unbeliever. You, you can't yoke those two. You can't yoke a bull and a squirrel. They don't yoke. You, you, you're not, and so what you'll do is the yoke will actually break down the bull. Because if it's dragging in the ground, I mean, what is the bull going to do? This is what happens when people get into ungodly relationships. You are on purpose destroying yourself. And it's not just marriages. It's relationships. There are people in this room that have ungodly relationships. And it's destroying your life. But because you're so uh, deficited in your soul, if that's a word, because your soul is so broken, you would rather have bad than nothing. And I've got news for you. Nothing would be better than that. Have Jesus. He's your everything. And so the unequally yoked thing was specifically Paul talking about marriages. 
So don't do that, but it's not just marriages. It's relationships, it's your friendships, it's all the... 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says that, Be not deceived, uh, good, uh, bad communication corrupts good manners. That's specifically talking about that uh, principle. Uh, 52, 50-something. 1 Corinthians 15... It's in here somewhere. Uh, it says, Be not deceived, uh, good, uh, bad communications corrupt good manners. What that's talking about, communication is kononia. And so, bad kononia corrupts good manners. And how many people think, well, I'm Christian and they're not Christian, and so I'm going to Christianize those. No! They're going to drag you down into the depths of hell. Into the depths of hell. You, you do not get yoked to an unbeliever on purpose of your will to bring them up. Right. It does not work that way. This is God. Oh, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. You, you can't do it. So don't, you have to be very careful about the relationships that you're in. Now, if, you're, if two people get married and they're at whatever level and then one person excels the other, you're always going to have that. And so... You, you know, Kate, I, I, Kate and I have said this all the time about couples. Like, man, sometimes like this person is hitting it and then their spouse is like missing it. And then like two years later, they'll like switch and the one spouse is hitting it and the other. I'm like, man, if these two would both hit it at the same time, they'd be like taking over the world. But it's so often that it's like one's up and one's down, which is good in a relationship, in a godly relationship for one to be up and one be down because then the one that's up can pull up. The one that's down. But if you have an unbeliever with a believer, you can't pull that up. So if you're in an unequal yoke as it relates to maturity level, that, that's going to be normal. People are going to grow at different levels. So you're going to have to communicate with the Holy Spirit on how to, how to balance all that out and, and work it out. I mean, Kay is always way ahead of me spiritually. And then she... <laughs> was so wrong. What do you want to What do you want to say about Stacy? Um, what do I want to say about Stacy? <laughs> Careful, it's on tape. I just um, touching on context, just like you said, it is being yoked with an unbeliever. It's very specific about that, but also, um, in the, the few times that the New Testament talks about it, is don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Be yoked to Jesus. And then the other reference is, um, it's called yoke fellow, which is kind of a cool word. Um, but that's just fellow servants. That we are all servants together. And, you know, Steve and I working together to serve the kingdom, you know, we'll get this far. But then me and Steve and Stacey and Cindy, fellow servants together, it multiplies what can be done for the kingdom. Um, and so just knowing kind of God's definition of what that means and context is important. Cinderella? I would like to know the, um, again, get a little bit of explanation, I guess, about the difference between tithing, offering, and first fruits. Because I think I'm like almost there, but <laughs> I need more. Money. Um. 
Tithing is an honor thing. And so many people beat up uh, Malachi 3.10 to make Christians get beat up into giving. And uh, it's terrible because now you can't talk about... You can't even talk about money in church anymore because so many people are so offendable and offended that you're not even allowed to talk about it anymore. So tithing is something because I honor God. I'm going to give him a percentage of the income because I recognize that it's only because of God, his goodness, and his love for me that I have any income. Those of us that went to Guatemala, or uh, Guatemala, Honduras, uh, if you've ever been into a third world nation, you will greatly appreciate what we have in America. A poor person in America is better than a wealthy person in most other nations. Um, I honor God with uh, my tithes, and Kay and I don't tithe 10%. We tithe way more than that because we honor God. We know that everything that we have is from Him. And we also know that there is this reciprocal activity that whatever we give Him, He always adds to it and gives it back to us. And so we're more than happy to give him every single week of everything that comes into our life. We're going to give him some. It is, it is an honor. Uh, uh, Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord in this way. And then first fruits is uh, usually what it means is that there's, a, there's something that comes in that's different or unique. So if somebody walked up to me and said, Pastor, I really love you. Here's a million dollars. No. No, 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 amen? Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep trying. Pastor, I really love you. Here's a million dollars. The first, that, that is probably not going to happen every day. And so that would be something out of the ordinary that happens in my life. And so from that, I would decide that there's going to be a certain portion of that that I'm going to call the first fruits. Because that was a fruit that came into my life that I didn't expect to happen. And so the first of that fruit, I'm going to give away. And I'm going to probably give it to somewhere that God specifically leads me to give it. My tithes almost always exclusively go to my local church because they're supposed to be brought into the storehouse so that we can all eat from it. First fruits are going to go somewhere where God tells me to give it. And then offerings are something because we are people who live from compassion. You should be you should see people in need and people hurting that the Holy Spirit impresses upon your life and heart to help them. That's an offering. Offerings are not tithes. Tithes are not offerings. First fruits are not offerings. First fruits are not tithes. They're three different things. And you have to make sure that you understand that there is a difference to those. Tithes are something that should automatically be coming because you are always an honoring God. First fruits is when something great happens to you. Someone gives you a house. Someone gives you a car. Someone gives you a Pentecostal handshake. Um, that's a first fruit. And then offerings is you should always have your head on a swivel looking for places to be generous, to be loving, because you always want people to be looking into your life. You always want your father to be looking at you. We have a whole massive amount of teaching that we can give just on the money part. But if you're in here and you're struggling financially, it's probably because you don't have something like this worked out. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no financial struggle. Do you want to add to that? No, she don't. Half the day. <laughs> All right. Please rise.
Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.